Broadcasting from the fifth dimension and beyond. Is it really broadcasting? I guess it's podcasting. <laughs> All right. Time to get weird. Local 666-269-podcast. Coming into your ear holes right now. No pun intended, of course. Our thanks, of course, to White Bat Audio. Like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube. White Bat Audio. Royalty free music for the background there. Dystopian cyberpunk synthwave mix. Night City. I always enjoy this kind of stuff. Sort of sets the mood sometimes. Are we living in a dystopia? Well, I suppose that matters. Depends on your perspective, I guess. For those of us so-called Gen Xers, digital adaptives, in some ways we're kind of like the last man in Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And, you know, technically last women, of course, but I guess what I'm referring to is the human condition in the within our la- lifetime here, <clears throat> in the latter part of the 20th century, earlier part of the 21st century. It's a trip to think about things that have happened uh, 30, 35 years ago as we get older and put them together as a compendium and look at sort of the the arc or the transition that happened from when we were in high school, basically, in the 80s, and uh, where we're at now. Definitely, we bought the ticket and we took the ride. It has been a trip, and it's just getting trippier. So again, is it a dystopian trip? (laughs) It's definitely not a utopian trip. Is it somewhere in between? I think a lot of that has to deal with the individual. If we are the center of our own universes, and some have theorized that we are somehow projecting our reality. Um, if we look at some of the tenets of existentialism, which I do recommend, especially if you're on this journey or this quest, um, the concept of, of man having a past, present, and a future, and in some ways our consciousness and subconsciousness is, is projecting ourselves uh, or our image of ourselves onto the future. So you can understand why there's room for for people to understand the concept of manifestation. What are you manifesting in your life? What are you putting forward? What are you putting out there in order to make it happen for yourself? Now, granted, we are in a very unique and special time now, especially because so much is in flux and will continue to to be so. So get used to it. (laughs) Buckle in. You're about to experience more turbulence. Um, This is your captain speaking. And notice that I put on the seatbelt sign. (laughs) It's about to get bumpy. It's always going to be bumpy, folks, and it always has been bumpy. That is part of the human condition. That's part of being uh, sort of an anomaly in this system. Again, if we go back into existentialism and then look at the difference between our projection of ourselves and the projection of the, the world outside of us or around us, 
it requires our consciousness and subconsciousness to to make that delineation. So when I hear things like people say that, well, you know, you can reprogram your DNA through your consciousness, and part of me obviously wants to agree with that um, to a certain extent. With the recent advent of Microsoft uh, hacking through, I guess, the uh, genetic code for a genetic 3D printer, we realize that there's so much memory storage within our DNA, which can bleed over to some of these concepts of dealing with generational trauma. I mean, experts have have definitely have said to us that we do carry some sort of genetic memory. And so if you think about your bloodline, your ancestry, and we talk about generational curses and so forth, I think we tend to focus on that slice probably within the intersexual generations that we can sort of remember, like our parents, grandparents, and so on. But I would propose to you that with some of this trauma, if it is based on genetic memory to a certain extent, think about the uh, movie with Albert Brooks when he went to heaven and uh, <laughs> he got to go to the past past lives hall or a hall of past lives. And, you know, you get to see yourself in a past life. And of course he was, running across the savannah, uh, not wanting to be eaten in terror as a tribesman of some kind. And I, I think we all have that within us to a certain extent, those of us that have gone through that experience, or at least part of us, depending on, on your origin. Now, I will tell you that growing up, I was told by my father a... Um, malignant narcissist <laughs> of some kind. Uh, but early on, he convinced us that he was from Europa. Yes, this is true. Uh, Europa is a moon, I believe, one of the moons of, of Jupiter. Is that correct? Or Saturn? I have to take a look. Uh, that's not really the point. Where it's for Basically, he convinced us that he was from another planet. As children... And maybe go a little bit beyond that. And that was a lot easier to understand his behavior because, well, he's an alien, right? Um, again, maladapted uh, ideas and delusional thinking among people sometimes that uh, are very manipulative. Did he believe that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Did I believe it as a kid? Yes, I did. In fact, I'm pretty sure I went to school and <laughs> they said, well, you know, where where's your father from? Where's your parents from? I'm like, well, my mother's from Mexico and my dad's from Europa. He's from Europe? Uh, no, he's from a moon <laughs> on the other planet. Okay. So I guess the joke was on me not realizing it. Maybe that's what the whole thing. Being part of the bogey prodigy program is, you know, I'm some sort of extension of a cruel joke on society. Why not? Society deserves cruel jokes because society can be cruel and it needs to look at itself and face itself and try to understand um, how can it be better? Can it be better? Seems like it could be, right? I mean, I think we all have that inclination. Again, being digital adaptives, we remember a time without some of these uh, connections that we have now these networks that we have built, these digital networks, these these tentacles <laughs> through social media platforms uh, where they're all intersexual or intersectional, pardon my pronunciation. Um, 
the concept for me is that we believe somewhere inside. We have these little nuggets that push us into thinking that things could be better. And so the dilemma there, of course, is that our mind is always in that place of like, well, how can it be better? What's wrong? And so verbalizing it right now, I realize that in some ways we are also projecting that into the future. If I'm always looking at being sort of unsatisfied with the situation presently or around me or what's going on, that satisfaction comes from the ability to sort of maybe compare and contrast, going back to man is the measure of all things. Again, in existentialism, we also sort of have to do this as well to sort of separate ourselves from the concept. Now, don't existentialists, don't come after me. It's been a long time since I've dipped my toe in this pool, and I'm just getting back into it. You know, it's been probably 30 years since I've, I've, I've really explored existentialism. Uh, as sort of an antidote for this current situation, dealing with the aspects of of, of Sarte and Spinoza, and uh, I've, I found a new person here that I thought was pretty amazing. Um, she is definitely 100% girl pussy boss from 1962, and so we'll be talking about her later because she, her understanding and her presence of existentialism as a four-hour lecture series, uh, is just absolutely fucking stunning. And it's appealing. I mean, it's an old rotoscope uh, film of a, of a TV show that was put on public television when public television it was good, <laughs> or better, I should say. Um, there's still some nuggets in public television, but over the years, we know that corporate influences have managed to, again, pry their snouts into to that programming trout trough and been able to put uh, agendas and biases in there. Now, again, please, please don't think I'm very conspiratorial and all this other nonsense. I, I, I'm not really into that sort of like, you know, one world order, you know, programming. To me, it's much deeper and bigger than that. We're, I'm talking about the whole bloody system, the whole bloody concept. I mean, I'm about questioning about reality and so forth. And so those distortions that uh, oftentimes are made by conspiracists looking for the Illuminati or the flat earth and all that other horse shit, um, you know, that's, that's fun, but no, that's not where I'm at with this. Uh, for me, it's existentialism, simulation theory, uh, just, just questioning the concepts um, around us of what is real, what is not real. And, and trying to understand how that affects my ability to make my projection into the future. And so if we are in some sort of system, and, and definitely we have elements of system, in the, in the nature of systems, the nature of or dynamic of systems is that the longer that they are go on and sort of perpetuate themselves, they obviously get more complex, but sometimes they also grow um, inefficient. They don't always necessarily improve for the, the best part of the system. Think about the natural system. Think about the concept of, of Earth uh, being um, uh, an entirely living organism. And that would be like the Gaia theory, right? And so uh, the fact that 
it is an organism unto itself and it's all connected the plants the trees the air the roots the, the virus that is <laughs> the human the humaning the peopling of this planet that seem to have been hell-bent on some sort of death culture to destroy this motherfucker uh, is a concern definitely it's a concern to me and people say well if you're living in a simulation what does it matter well, i said well i understand that but if you have too much disruption and distortion in that simulation, it, it, you know, what simulation are we projecting in the future that we want to live in? Is it this dystopia? Is it this, you know, zombie apocalypse that we were all hoping for and instead we ended up with, uh, you know, spread necks and horse paste and piss drinkers and all this other nonsense. I mean, if you if you can't accept that we are definitely in some sort of alternate timeline because of the shit that's happened in the last few years, then you are far much more grounded than I've ever thought about being. For me, it's just much easier to sort of uh, let my mind wander and drift into sort of these other worlds or these fringe areas of idea to somehow conceptualize what's happening. And, and not that I really have to, I suppose, but, you know, that's the curse of having a soul. <laughs> is that that's what happens, is you get that consciousness. You get that, that sort of split between what's happening sort of etherically with yourself, with your energy, your power, and so forth, and then how that is impressed on the, the external or outside world. A lot of complexities, obviously. People are like, you know, I just need to make more money. <laughs> well, sure. And so how are you going to do that? Well, you know, that's part of the projection, right? But you have to fill in sort of all the other pieces and kind of reverse engineer it. And despite all of that, even your best preparation. Now, I know hardcore manifestors will say that that, that probably wouldn't be an issue. Um perhaps for myself to keep it more interesting, I always make it challenging. And so for those of us that are playing this game sort of on custom mode and not on easy mode, which I think most people who are going through the motions and, and going through kind of like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and all that stuff like that, they're, they're playing on easy mode. They're nine to five weekends off watching sports, barbecuing, doing all that other sort of semi-normal stuff here in the United States. Um, travel around a bit like I have, get around the world, experience other cultures, not as not as a tourist, but live there for a while and, and sort of take on a new way of looking at things and step into their shoes as much as possible, as much as you can. Uh, obviously, we come from... Uh, a pretty high point of privilege on this planet being uh, that we won the lottery uh, having a U.S. passport. Uh, it does come at a price, of course, but um, I think most of us are willing to pay that price when, when the time comes. The gist of it is, is looking at things differently and so that we are not sort of caught on an automatic loop of going through the motions and leading a life that is less satisfying. So we've got multiple things happening here. And I'm sorry that it seems a bit fragmented to you. And that's, that's my doing either on purpose or 
by powers beyond me, I suppose, um, because I'm not intentionally trying to, to fragment it. I'm trying to put all of these little pieces out there, uh, pieces kind of like a puzzle. And it's really up to you, the listener, to decide how you want to assemble that. Do you want to uh, put it together? Do you want to apply to it? Do you want to apply it to something that's going on in your own life? We're all looking. We're either looking for love or we're looking for a relationship or we're looking for satisfaction or we're looking for uh, more opportunity. Maybe we're looking for more time. We're looking for more people. We're always on the quest. That part of the human nature of being a hunter and a gatherer, that is still pretty wired within us. If I drive around my country in a warm, nice, warm day like today on a Sunday here in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of people will have their garages open. And I guarantee you there won't be a car in any one of those garages. It'll be full of shit. <laughs> It'll be full of stuff. And it's probably cool stuff. I got cool stuff in my garage, too. Technically, my garage is not really for a car because it's a it's an 80-year-old building. And if, if it was for a car, then it would have had to been a low rider. And the people would have been under six foot tall. So I think it was an afterthought for this uh, daylight basement that we have here. But I digress as usual. Think about it. Think about how much stuff people in this country have as consumers. Because that's part of the system, right? That's part of not sort of slowing down, taking a moment to... to examine why we are acquiring all of this stuff. When people talk about narcissists and uh, narcissism, that seems to be very prevalent right now in the, my feeds. Are, and again, these nodes are, are from, from what the AI or what the algorithm has decided that will give me the most engagement. And so the, the more that I tunnel down through these different areas, the more feedback that comes from that for engagement. It's the game they play. So it's another reason for me to be somewhat fragmented because as the AI is trying to obviously train me by being sort of uh, complacent to me and in, in trying to make sure that I stay focused and within the aggregate of the information so it can be advertised to or monetized or commodified as a user, then that echo chamber has to sort of understand how do we want to do it? Think about Agent Smith explaining the matrix to uh, Morpheus and the fact that uh, the first stuff was, you know, rosy and sweet and PC and peachy and everything else. And we kept falling out of it. We couldn't accept it. So then they plugged everybody back in into kind of a, eh, kind of what we've got now, right? Sort of a capitalistic consumer society with, you know, some penalties and some reward within the scale of how you participate in it. Uh, and, and so obviously those hardships and misery keep us engaged. And so in that way, the Buddha was correct. All of life is suffering. And so if we want to stay alive within this system, then we will have to suffer. But the good part about suffering is that you can also have joy. And so you can flex either way, depending on what the concept is for yourself at that time or that moment or situation. Again, uh, some of this is a huge generalization, trying to, trying to find the thread that takes us down into this rabbit hole 
to understand really what's happening. And, and maybe that's just it. Maybe it's multiple things are happening. And I think, again, having the benefit of the pandemic, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as a collocation, the benefit of the pa- pandemic is the fact that for those people that didn't get sick and those people that obviously didn't pass or move on or die, it upset so much of the system as we know it for the last few years that it's almost like a reset. And now from this reset, we see an emergence of a different type of consciousness. And it's a consciousness that has allowed a lot of people that were going through the motion day by day, just on autopilot, uh, to have a time out <laughs> to be stuck in their house to maybe lose their job, lose their livelihood. And they've had to sort of reformulate themselves or, or restructure themselves. We saw a lot of creativity that came out of it are uh, still coming out of it. Uh, we see people now are, are much more willing and open to follow their, their whimsy and their, and their sort of pursuits, their desires more openly. That to me is a beneficial thing. Now, that's a really high price to pay considering how much bullshit that came along with it. And, and we're still dealing with it, obviously. Um, you know, the economy here is hyperly manipulated by the powers that be. And so they've managed to, to garner even more <laughs> out of this uh, between the have and have nots. And so that's, that's another part of this situation that is kind of a reality there's nothing i can i can you know wish my way out of that or think myself out of that at least not at this stage i can't run out to the street here and you know jump up and fly like in the matrix it's just not going to happen and part of that is because i'm saying it's not going to happen we have to embrace some of these things that we cannot sort of change it, if it is a system, it does have rules. We can bend the rules. We can hack the rules. And something like the pandemic where the system has um, almost like, like a running a program that sort of you know has to be either restarted or reinstalled. And in the process of, of reinstalling these programs, we are understanding that we have changed. We have, we've, we're different. Our consciousness has been altered by this experience. And for some of us, we just simply want more in the sense of leveling up. We want the time that we've had where we've been able to reflect. We want to somehow go to the next level if we lost our livelihood, if we're grieving our past life. And, and for me, that was a big part of the situation is that the giving up my life in China or in Asia, because I've kind of split between China and Thailand, um, during this time was extremely difficult for me. Um, I can't tell you how many times I thought, well, you know, I should have never come back. (laughs) But I can't do that because I am back. And I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you. This, This really is something vital to have an outlet for this beehive <laughs> that resides within me. Uh, it's not exactly like that. I mean, I've, I've had my medication today, so I feel pretty clear. I, I do joke about it and I make a lot of self-loathing humor because, or self-deprecating humor, 
because that's what I've done. And, and obviously, if we want to take it to the next level, we have to think about other ways to project ourselves, especially now that we are finding our ways into other places that we didn't expect or didn't think of. When we launched this, it was something that I knew that I wanted to do for some time and, and how I wanted to do it obviously is a work in progress but at least I'm doing it. I'm faking it until I make it. So in all these other concepts of what's happening around us and so forth, whatever that projection that we want to make of ourselves in the future, let's try to put our hand on the rudder and guide ourselves into that. It's a challenge. Uh, it's a big rudder. <laughs> it's a big, a big direction to try to to right the ship in a certain way to go another way. But it can be done. We've seen it done. We see people doing it. And so if you're having difficulty in this area of trying to figure out how you're going to level up somehow in this system, whether it's real, not real, matrix, doesn't, none of that shit matters at that point. Now we're, we're talking about just your center for yourself. And when I say you're, obviously I'm referring to myself because I'm talking out loud in the hopes that we'll come across something that will will stick and that we can use. And so if we come back to ourselves and say, okay, what is the next level? What is the projection I want to make? And so based on some of the rules of the game, and again, looking back at existentialism, that gives us a, a, an insight on an approach that we could probably use um, and think about how we can manifest that projection, what it is that we want to be for the rest of the day, for tomorrow, next week, into the future. We know that it's a gamble, even though that we define it for ourselves and set that intention to move forward in the future, we will still be under the guise of the manifold of the system that we find ourselves in. For me to run back to Thailand in some ways would be amazing and awesome and beneficial, uh, mostly because of the, the cost of living. It's much more effective for me in my situation. Having time to, to do the things that I want to do to pursue for myself that may not necessarily generate um, any income, but generates valuable experience or valuable skills that maybe will turn into income in the future is the investment that I enjoy. Even living sort of unstuck in time where things sort of either escape or they appear, oftentimes they turn into a maelstrom and we know that you cannot survive a maelstrom uh, by swimming against it. You have to sort of grab onto the to the flotsam and sort of be cast out as you're spiraled around. But you do have to get you do have to go through the tumble and you got to go through the wash. So even if you've got all of your intentions lined up, all of the things are are, are going and so forth, you're still going to meet some challenges from the external system because there is a division. We are not. As this entity, we are not connected 
to the source in the same way that we believe like nature is animals are that kind of thing we feel that somehow they have a connection that we are unaware of that they are connected to nature and so even going back to some of the philosophers in the enlightenment we also understand that they question man's place in the universe or in the heavens as they said or whatever it may be and, and one of those things is that separation between us and source or nature um, we know that there is a delineation there and perhaps we've had to have that as a species in order to make time somewhat linear for the process of the system so if we are a cylinder in this mode in this engine then i would suggest trying to be at least the master cylinder uh in the sense that you are in charge of you know turning the rest of the crank um Otherwise, you kind of fall victim to going through the motions and leading a life that is sort of less than savory, <laughs> less than ultimate, less than optimum, perhaps. So whatever it takes to, to get to that next level, I would say in, engage in it try it don't be afraid to try new things get to the edge of your comfort zone and try to step out of it so after this nonsense with covid and people having these reflections and people having the time to reassess their position in life and society and the economy whether they won or they lost or they, it's a draw, at least there's a willingness now to embrace the weirdness <laughs> and understand that, hey, if I, if I want to dress up as, as you know, the main character and, and go out and do my errands, why not? And I would say that's a good thing. Become the main character in your own story. Um, so going back to the connection to narcissism, which I need to explore a bit more when people sort of complain about narcissistic behavior, I would say that that's sort of built into the system. The system itself is narcissistic. It is manipulative. It, it does use us as its source of control and entertainment and whatever else. And, and it will try to do the same thing that a narcissist will do in a real relationship. It will try to manipulate you. It will try to control you. It will try to, to baffle you and stifle you. My father used to say, well, if I can't dazzle them with brilliance, I'll baffle them with bullshit. And so one of the many family axioms that you learn when you grow up with someone like this who had an IQ of 136, but had an EQ of about 80. I'm, I'm guessing on the EQ, to be honest with you. I, I imagine he was actually a very sensitive individual that built, built up a large amount of armor and skill and everything else to protect that gooey center until eventually, just like in Star Wars, the, 
the man and the machine, and the machine eventually overcomes the man until they pass away and you crack the shell and you realize that uh, what's in there is you know, not so great because it surrounded itself with what it believed as the cure or the antidote to the system that it found itself in by embracing the dark side, by putting on the armor, by putting on, as I said, the main character, right? And until eventually it, it, it consumed that person or consumed him. And that was his projection. I mean, the man was married seven times, a serial polygamist. Uh, so he was always looking for source in this case. And again, the system itself around us also does the same thing. It does it to us. So how can we push back without also sort of losing ourselves in the sense that we lose the things about us that make us joyful? And that's one of the things I'd have to say growing up with, with someone who is a narcissist and having uh, other relationships because you get programmed in that and having other relationships with uh, female narcissists to kind of also stay in that groove. For those of us that grew up with that amount of manipulation, it's hard for us to function without some of that in our present situation. We, we, it becomes so ingrained to our biological systems because of the different types of feelings and emotions that can come out of those situations related to the pathways that pump the serotonin and the dopamine and uh, epinephrine and all the other hormones that, that give us the different feelings. Um, cortisol, you know, obviously for years I've been a cortisol junkie. And so I was always making sure to have a relationship that gave me a good source of cortisol, the stress hormone. Which, of course, leads to obesity, heart disease, you take it. There's all kinds of stuff that happens with uh, excessive cortisol, you know, pumping through your, through your body over a long period of time. Makes you look old, brings you down, and, it, and you get addicted to it. It's the same thing as, as an adrenaline junkie. You can get addicted to any of these amazing sort of um, hormonal the things that turn on the uh, switching in our central nervous system. It's amazing that our body can produce these chemicals that can be converted into uh, some sort of electrical signal to give us uh, some kind of uh, program or behavior um, is in response to it. Absolutely fascinating. So if we become ingrained or addicted to some of these pathways, and, and obviously those neurological pathways become very thick. They become very developed, you know, super highways, <laughs> depending on the amount of abuse or depending on the amount of, of um, integration of the situation within the, in, within the self and those pathways. So if you grow up in that situation, then you're always kind of looking for that in your relationships. I mean, it's too easy, obviously, to dismiss, dismiss a lot of what's happening in social media with, with young people. Uh, as daddy issues or mommy issues. Yet, when we go around and we look at sort of the, the id of the, of the internet, and so 
you know, for a long time, I used to say that 4chan was the id of the internet. You know, it's the it's the sort of the the juvenile, raw, <laughs> anything goes, you know, non politically correct um, part of it. And so when you go through all these different aspects and, and we see what's happening with the digital natives, and for us as the adaptives, we can identify that because we're coming from outside the system, because we were here before this particular system was in place. And so now we have a different perspective than those who were born within it. They have a real hard time seeing out beyond their own sort of lifetime. Anybody that's had conversations with many young people um, will probably understand it's hard for them sometimes to conceptualize things beyond their lifetime. Like, yes, Paul McCartney was in a band before uh, he sung with the Foo Fighters, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, it, it's, it's along the lines that we probably felt similar at that age. I think we had more of an opportunity to reach into the past um, because of, of what was available to us for uh, media and entertainment and so on. We're now, I think, of young people, of digital natives who have been able to onboard uh, you know, a lifetime of, of information, whether it is good information, whether it is pornography, whether it is music, it doesn't matter. There is an element of consciousness that has been developed by being a digital native and being sort of submerged in this ocean of information, especially here in Western culture. If I, if I make the comparison to my young contemporaries in China, which the internet is like a lagoon because it is obviously kind of walled off from our internet to a certain extent, and things are, are controlled and manipulated because of the amount of people that they have in that country. Uh, it makes sense that that they would try to sort of do that in order to hold on to the status quo. That's a challenge. Not everybody can do it that way. For them, there is sort of a disconnect because of the fact they haven't been so saturated uh, with all of this different information as, an as a native. For those of us that are adaptives, and even if I look at adaptives there, there's a huge disconnect in that sense. The disconnect, of course, is a part of how we view things. And it's really hard to, to sort of look through those eyes of natives, digital natives, and look at all of this stuff and, and try to understand how they are lining things up for their projections. Simultaneously, some of them have managed to take it to an entirely different level with an element of consciousness that is commendable, respectable. I mean, uh, I'm blown away by some of the content that is being generated now by young uh, users. So they have, they have basically have been able to download, <laughs> uh, you know, all the Kung Fu. So now they know Kung Fu. Uh, I know Kung Fu. 
And that's not all of them because we know a large percentage of it is in order to swim in that, in that deep water, you're also going to get covered in a lot of shit. And so we have two huge camps of people here that either are extremely enlightened and those that have no clue that gap is big, just like the, the economic gap, the wealth gap, the age gap, they're just more extreme. Same thing in climate change. It's just more extreme. Everything is going to be continue to be bigger on one side and bigger on the other side. The, the stakes will just continue to get higher. If we can try to conceptualize how that applies to us, then we have to decide that we want to play that game. Now, while I'm thinking about it, speaking of the game, which to me is one of the greatest mind fucks around, the game, which some of you have heard of, not, not many. Uh, I got burned the other day from outside of my normal circle of people that play, quote, unquote, the game. It is a, a mind thought exercise that is awesome for snapping you in and out of this situation. And so when you're not thinking about the game until someone mentions it, um, it's pretty awesome because you might be within the flow of source. And so when someone brings it up, you know, of course it's kind of a joke, right? It's part of the game is to drop it out to someone and give them a reset. And then it starts all over again. I'm at the point where I need one of those sort of doomsday big button clocks in my house. I have a lot of clocks in my house. I also have a lot of mirrors in my house. It's kind of one of my things. Uh, so uh, when people come over, they say, wow, geez, you got a new clock. Oh, you got a new mirror. <laughs> when is this going to stop, right? Uh, I've always said that, you know, if you if I decide to settle down, then, you know, my place will be probably pretty awesome. Um for me, <laughs> as it should be, uh, as Joseph Campbell has suggested, you need your sacred space. So somewhere, hopefully, in your living situation, you can build a sacred space for yourself. Uh, however you want to celebrate that sacred space, that's, that's up to you. That's to, to be determined by you and your natural magic, the K, um, or your natural desire. Again, explore. Open yourself up to the possibilities of having a place where you can sort of feel who you are to meditate, maybe to reflect, maybe to pray, maybe to chant, maybe to spell cast. I don't know, but a place where you can augment and radiate your projection, your manifestation of what you want in your life for yourself. So for example, uh, I'm on a, on a quest to lose another 100 pounds. Now, I've done this before, and of course, I put the weight back on because I took my foot off the, the gas, the accelerator. Again, going back to being addicted to cortisol um, and, you know, not, not doing the work consistently. Consistency is, is sometimes a, a challenge for people that have uh, ADHD. I know it's sometimes uh, difficult for me to remain somewhat consistent because you always want to 
you won't always want to be in that part where it's the the sweet part, the good part, and and not sort of the hard part. Um, and we don't adapt too well. That we get bored with it, the routine, and so on. And so that's one of the challenges that we have. So a sacred space will allow you to sort of radiate that, and, and it's a projection um, into the other, which is the world that we find ourselves in or outside of ourselves, not directly connected to ourselves. But it's a reminder of where we're at. And so for me, having mirrors and clocks is to keep in mind that a time as we know it, as we are experiencing it in this sort of linear fashion uh, is present. But having multiple clocks, and I have also multiple time zones as well because I work across multiple time zones, that also sort of indicates some fluidity in the fact that, you know, my time here is not exactly the same time it is when I'm talking to somebody in China or the United Kingdom or other places around the world. Now, it's a small, it's a small sort of thread but it is attached to a much greater piece of fabric, the fabric of time. Granted, a clock is not time. Uh, we as humans sort of determine what time is. Uh, I think that's part of what our purpose is. At least it seems that way. As for the mirrors, of course, that is not just about vanity, but it's a reminder to myself in a lot of ways uh, when dealing with things like projection and social media because a lot of it is reflection and so having all these little portals as kurt vonnegut uh, said in breakfast of champions that you know the mirror is, is a portal having all these portals in my house um is nice it also helps to augment you know the really nice light that comes from my window uh in here and so forth at night if there's something going on you know all the little mirrors sort of uh, interact with each other and it gives a kind of a different effect. So what's that projection? Projection is, is basically saying um, to myself, hey, pay attention to yourself. Take care of yourself. Drink your water. Hydrate. Go to the gym. Exercise. Eat correctly. And so losing, losing 100 pounds in this case means that I don't have junk food in my house. I don't have garbage food in my house. I don't buy it. I don't bring it home. Um, I don't. I don't order food out. I don't order delivery anymore. You know that was uh, an easy thing to be. You know a convenience that was that was great. And it was like, well, I want some Del Taco. Great, you can get it. I mean, it's just as bad as going there, right? And granted, I'm not. I'm not slagging their food or whatever else i i like it i like fast food just like most people do to a certain extent even though i know it's it's garbage but it's it's again programming you know from an early age of going to fast food restaurants because they marketed it to children um we learned uh, sort of to enjoy that garbage in the sense that a lot of families because of economics because of their situation, you know, fast food was the option for feeding children. Um, that says probably more about the system than anything else. The fact that you can get like a, a combo meal for five bucks, but if you want to go and, and try to eat healthy, is two or three times the cost. There's a lot of these incongruencies <laughs> in our country, in the system, um, that 
only add up to one thing, which is a, it's just a profit model. It's always about generating profit. What is it? Bob Dobbs had the the space bankers, <laughs> George Carlin, and God. <laughs> He's bad with money. Uh, all these different things we could connect to the idea. So we progress, and we try to build sacred spaces. We try to get the coordinates that we need for ourselves to navigate to the best of our ability. This is a vast journey. In some ways, it may even be beyond our lifetime. If we go back to the concept of this generational trauma that may be carried through our uh, genetics, through our DNA, because it has an amazing capacity to store so much, are we able to separate ourselves from passing that on? In my case, yes, because I have not procreated. I made a conscious uh, decision that the, the madness ends here with me. So when I'm gone, this will also be gone. It will collapse for me. Uh, Whatever is left over will be beyond my ability to probably conceptualize or understand uh, after the conversion, after the rapture, <laughs> I built a rapture hatch in my house. Um, I'm kidding. Of course, I, I did think about starting a rapture hatch uh, business. Uh, I may still do it. And basically what I'm uh, in doing is installing, uh, hatches in, um, people that believe in the rapture so they don't hit their head when they're sent up to heaven <laughs> through the roof of their building. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez i had a, a huge argument as a child with my mother who's who's a born-again catholic she was raised catholic of course and then drifted uh, when she was my father and then came back to it and was telling me about you know uh, i think we were arguing over over cremation at that at that point and this is probably at that time i think the church didn't like cremation i, I don't know what the position is now but, but her argument was, you know, that when Jesus would come back, you know, everybody's going to rise up and so forth, you know, the believers. And uh, I said, well, you know, if he's that powerful to come back, it, what does it matter if, if I've been cremated? He should be able to reassemble that, right? You know, like Dr. Manhattan, you know. Um, yeah, she didn't like that so much. Uh, you know, it's those questions sometimes that you ask of people, uh who are your maybe your parents or teachers or whatever else, and they get so goddamn frustrated with you <laughs> because you you're you're shuffling the cards, you're tipping over the system. But I think we have to ask those questions always. Question everything. Question yourself. Question your motives. Question the system. But but don't be filled with doubt. When I say question, I mean just to examine um, and, and and explore the premise a little bit. If you have the ability to do that, then I would say try it. It's not going to be um, something that is going to harm you to take a moment to ask more questions. When we're younger, I think we, we have a tendency not to do that. We, we're still pretty raw and we don't have enough experience um, to understand that we probably should question something that's happening more 
happening to us or around us or for us. Because again, if we are projecting into the future, uh, what we want to become or what we want this to be, if we don't have a good analysis or a good grip of that, then that projection will manifest itself with a lot of loose ends. It's not specific enough. The system will give you what you ask of it, what you have to ask of it in a way that is very sort of specific. And even as specific and as as well thought out as it can be, you may still uh, leave some pieces loose or open. And that may be because of the limitation of the culture, the language, maybe your own ability to manifest. There could be some sort of um, self-sabotage or some blockage. There could be something that's deeply embedded within you that makes it difficult to manifest in a way that's effective. It can be from your childhood experiences. It could be from your trauma. Um, You've got to pull those things out. Do you own it or does it own you? And so even for myself, thinking about all these fun little things that I've surrounded myself in the sacred space, I should not be afraid to jettison this at any moment for a chance at another adventure. Life should be an adventure for me. And so when I don't have a quest, I make my own quest. I make my side quest. Um, And if you're listening, thanks for side questing with me. If you're not listening, that's okay too. (laughs) I'm still going to side quest because this is something that I have to do for myself in order to understand in a way that brings me satisfaction joy, happiness, fulfillment, confidence, skill. The idea that I don't have to sort of limit or adjust who I am or my personality at this point is very empowering. It's almost intoxicating. But again, I have to think about it. (laughs) I have to sort of ask questions about it. Like, which turn am I going to make here? When you're at the crossroads, that's usually when the devil shows up anyway. (laughs) And so, do you sell your soul for rock and roll? Or maybe you just want to hang out and party for a little bit. I don't know. That's entirely up to you in this case. A crossroad is a liminal space, and I've become slightly obsessed with liminal spaces uh, once I've sort of had the way to identify what is a liminal space and then start playing with it because I realized that liminal spaces, the, the sort of in-between, uh, whether you are inside the house or outside the house, it's like literally standing in the doorway. You're going from, from one aspect of the, of the system or the simulation or the reality uh, into a different component. 
And so they all have to have structures and, and code embedded to do that. Uh, again, going back to existentialism where, you know, the object is separated from you. So a liminal space is, is the separation maybe between two types of nodes. Even for myself, if I sit here in front of this PC uh, in the front room here looking out uh, onto my dead-end street that's normally pretty quiet, nice sunny day, uh, there's, there's two different components here. There, me inside and, of course, going outside. Um, the liminal space will be that in-between. Within the house itself, there's many liminal spaces, many little doorways and so forth here, especially in this place because it's 80 years old. It was built uh, during the time that um, they were building uh, ships for World War II uh, here off of the Columbia River um, where I live. And so they put in a bunch of kind of like uh, row housing sort of, a lot of duplexes and triplexes and so on for workers. And it's uh, it's an amazing space. It's, it's haunted as fuck. Um, I'm pretty sure a kid hung himself here through autoerotic asphyxiation. Uh, it's a vision that, that's happened quite often. So I've been trying to research to find out uh, who lived here in the past. And definitely there is an element of tragedy uh, that's hung over this. Of course, we came in and, and the first day that we actually had to, uh, to take occupation of this place was the uh, shooting death down the street. And so we couldn't even get into the street because of the shooting death for the day. And so we had to go back around the back end and had to unload by hand. And, you know, it was the typical fuckery thing that happens, you know, something you cannot plan on, something that's in the system itself to say, ah, try this on for size. Despite that, I mean, the neighborhood was shook and so on because it's very uncommon in this area. But it's also sort of where we're at now. We have a lot of gun violence um, around us. In, in, in many places and it's becoming more common that most of us have had some aspect of our lives turned upside down as a result of gun violence in this country and we seem to be okay with that we just continue to buy more guns and carry our guns and uh, you know <laughs> we don't seem to think it's a problem compared of, of all the other shit that's going on. And so I guess that's part of our freedom. And so we'll, we'll continue with that aspect of it. But moving into this, into the space eventually was, was having the idea of creating something for ourselves to keep us on track. And that's the key for your sacred space is, is whatever it, it is, it should augment or manifest your goals or pursuit. Over the, over the course of the pandemic, you know, when gyms closed, a lot of people that uh, enjoy going to the gym had to make home gyms. And so now they've, they've developed the process of, of working out at home and they've made some pretty awesome home gyms. Uh, I'm not a home gym person, uh, unfortunately. Part of the concept for me at this point is I have to go to a gym. A lot of it is just also people watching for me. And, and I don't mean to be that old creeper in the gym, and I, I definitely am very aware and conscious of that behavior and try to avoid it at all costs. Um, and so when I'm people watching, again, I, I try not to stare in a slack jaw, sort of creepy, pervy way, you know. For me, it's more of a 
just an awareness of people around me uh, and generally sort of taking in uh, the surroundings as much as possible without sort of being obtrusive or staring. So that's a suggestion as well. All right. Um, we flipped through an hour faster than usual. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, this is also a shout out to the Chinese superfood, hot water <laughs> or warm water. <laughs> so start your morning with warm water um, is my suggestion. Yeah, hydrate your organs and so on. We ran around the bushes here a little bit. I don't think we, we came to any sort of supposition or conclusion, and that's that's on me. Uh, again, with a stream of consciousness that I wanted to share with you. So let's put a few things back into the box. If we can grab the original thread here and try to uh, understand what it is that we want to accomplish for ourselves. We want to be able to hack or manipulate our concept of the future with a projection of ourselves that we want to manifest. A great way to do this is to imagine yourself in a future point and think about what that meeting would be like. The person that you will become in the future, let's say it's five years, is that the same person that is sitting here now, listening, or in my case, speaking? Or within five years, is that going to be a different person? Well, normally we'd say it will be a different person because one, they'll be five years older and five years of things will have happened. Okay, great. But what about the five years of things that, that you wanted to accomplish or to control or to do? How did that work out? So if you begin to change that manifestation of that five-year person, envision what they look like, how they are, how did they get there? Is it Are they in better physical condition than you are now? Are they in worse physical condition? Are they wealthier than you are now? Are they poorer than you are now? And so then you, you have a coordinate, you have a point to look at that you can begin to sort of dissect, cut up, analyze, reverse engineer and say, okay, what steps could to that? And I'd say make sure that that, that projection of yourself in the future is, is the manifestation that you believe that you want to achieve at this moment. And then adjust fire accordingly <laughs> as needed. Um, always be willing to sort of uh, adapt, change as things come up because it will that that we can't escape from unfortunately create a sacred space for yourself if, if you don't have a sacred space with within yourself find one it might be a little hollow of woods somewhere it might be uh, sitting on the dock it might be sitting in your car at this point because that might be the only private space you have but wherever it is find a place that you can feel supported. You can feel emboldened. You can feel confident. And a sacred space might be just for you in that moment. And you might have to, might have to face some demons or some darkness 
in that process. Make friends with them. <laughs> Offer them a beer. Um, I know a lot of the, a lot of the uh, psychics, occult people here on, on a lot of the platforms get irritated with me because, you know, I say, well, make friends with your demons. And, and they, well, no, the demons will control you and everything else. And they're, they're still playing sort of the, the binary heaven and hell game. Um, no, <laughs> it's much larger than that. And so use the forces around you to the best of your ability and try to play your hand to the best of your ability. Sometimes you got to know when to hold them, and sometimes you got to know when to fold them. All right, Kenny Rogers, let's go eat some roasted chicken. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, thanks again for your time. I always appreciate the support, the comments, the likes, the adoration, your your undying your undying servitude. No, what I appreciate is the stimulation of being present with you here in this moment wherever and whenever that moment may be. Enjoy. <laughs>